The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Okay, all the things that you got to do to get ready. All right, well, good morning, everyone. I am glad you're here because preaching to an empty room is just not very fun. Um, 
but you know, the COVID times, we kind of did that a couple of times. Or teaching a Sunday school lesson in an empty room. Um, it happens. You know, it's not any worse than ball players playing in an empty stadium with cutouts. We, we didn't go to that. We never had cutouts of anybody in here. But <laughs> we could have. We could have. So this morning, the pastoral prayer says, what is this? It says, laborers for the gospel. We're here at Tower View and, and, and everywhere else. So as we, we go to pray, we pray, and I thank God for all the people here that do stuff. Everybody who does things. Sometimes it's, you know, just a little bit here or there. It's not very much. Other people, it seems like we're always here doing stuff. So we're, you know, right now we're doing some big things. We're trying to remodel the, the children's center. And so there's some big things there. Some, like Diana, has been here like all the time. Steve have been here often, many times. Others have come when, when, when we put out a call for help. Some have lent their specialties, like Chris back there has lent his specialties of painting and, and, and such. Um, and so, and, and it's others, cleaning things, just other things that need to be done. And maybe some, it's, you, you, you can't help the way you want to anymore. You used to be hard workers and did all kinds of things in the church, but time has taken its toll. Health has taken its toll. Just think in the last couple of years of the members that we have lost because time has taken its toll. Others, it's just, you know, just, you know, that every, every year it's like, Jesus, I, you know, I knew I would get old someday. I just think, didn't think it was going to happen so soon. Um, you know, I turned, you know, 55. And some of you go, that's all? And others, you go, oh, my God, that's old. Um, you know, and, and you can't do everything that you want to do anymore. You know, I, I saw a picture on Facebook. It says, one of, one of the detriments, the reason that old men get hurt is because old men think they're young men. <laughs> you know, I mean, we do all those things that our brain remembers us doing, but our body goes, yeah, not anymore. Um, and so that's, that's not, you know, it's just the way God built us. It's the you know, way life has, has, you know, God has built us that way. And so we always need new people to do things. But also not just pray for the laborers at Tower View, but pray for the laborers of the gospel wherever they may be. Our, brother, our sister churches, the disaster relief teams that are now right down now in Louisiana and, and Mississippi, and some maybe up in, in the northeast, and, and in Kentucky, where there was a devastating flood, flash flood there. Or was that ten, yeah, Tennessee? Yeah. Um, and so pray for the laborers that are there. Pray for the future laborers. Today we call them kids. But someday they're not going to be kids anymore. They keep growing. And so we pray for all those things. So let's, let's as a church, let's lift up these laborers in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you. We thank you for laborers, where it's something physical that we do, or if it's something mental, and it's just, you know, paperwork type of things, like bookkeeping and record keeping, whether it's cleaning or making a mess because you're fixing things, whether it's inside the building or it's outside telling others about Christ, 
outside the bounds of this building. We just thank you, Lord, for the people who have worked so many years and so hard. We thank you, Lord, for the ones that are just learning how to work and learning how to do things. We pray for those who have yet to learn. We pray for our brothers and sisters of Christ that are working across this globe, across this country, serving you in all kinds of places. And because of that, we can rejoice and serve you because without laborers, this, things don't happen. Without laborers, the gospel is not spread. And so we pray for laborers. We pray that you strengthen those who are currently laboring. We pray that you encourage those who, who can't do it as much anymore. We pray for training and, and desire for those who will be laborers soon. Because you are the mighty God, and it's you who we serve. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, as Darren said, we're going to continue the sermon series, The Church Is. The Church Is. And this morning we're going to look at the churches where faithful pastors are called. It's like, really? So what's that got to do with me? Why do I need a faithful pastor? Why does it matter who the pastor is? I mean, those of you who have been here many years and you've been around churches, you know churches' pastors don't last long sometimes. In the Southern Baptist world, the average church pastor is less than five years. Darren is now the second longest tenured pastor ever at Tower View. Okay? And before that, it was, it was Dave Shanuel. And before that, it wasn't very long. All the pastors that this church has had. Other churches across this country, it's, it's the same boat. Pastors move frequently for various reasons. Sometimes it's the pastor's choice. Sometimes it's the church's choice. I actually have pastored a church. I was the senior pastor. I was the only pastor. It lasted for 11 months. And the deacon said, well, maybe you weren't called to be a pastor. Who was I to argue? God called me into the ministry. He didn't necessarily call me to be the senior pastor of a church. This is my fourth ministry position that I've had, and I've been hard to believe. I've, um, I quit my job to become a, a pastor or become a minister, a Christian minister of some type, because I didn't know what I was quitting for back in 1997. We only had three kids at that time. So why does churches need a faithful pastor who is called? And so we're going to look at that. In the beginning, we're going to look at, and if you ever read the book of Judges, the last verse of the book of Judges, 21-25, says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Book of Judges, there was no king. The priests are rarely mentioned. Judges came from time to time. So if the priests at the tabernacle were teaching, if, 
nobody was listening. Most of the people only seemed to call out to God when things got bad. Is anything really any different in today's world? And so people did what was right in their own eyes. So this morning we're going to look in the book of 1 Peter. So if you want to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And if you are able, please stand as we read God's Word. And I'm reading this morning from the New American Standard because it's easier to read than my other Bibles that I have. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And, and you have suffered for a little while, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory of Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Help us use it to build us up. Help us to use it to change our lives. Help us to use it to remove sin from our lives. Help us to use it to add righteousness to our lives. And help us to use it to have a hope for eternity. You are the mighty God, and we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So, what is a pastor? Well, the word pastor actually comes from Latin which was not around, at least in the form we have it in, in Bible times. And it literally means herdsman. So a pastor leads his sheep to the pasture, the, the, the green meadow where you, the, the sheep can eat something. Other biblical synonyms are things like overseer, shepherd, elder, minister, bishop, depending on your English translation. The Greek word for elder that we see here is actually where we get the English word presbyterian because they're elder-led, and they want to be distinct from congregational-led Baptist churches or hierarchical-led, like the Catholic Church. Easy for me to say. Um, other denominations will use words like vicar, reverend, abbot, cleric, cleric clergy, 
preacher. But what is a pastor? Well, that's where the big idea is. A pastor, that's our big idea for today. The pastor is a sinful sheep leading other sinful sheep to follow the sinless good shepherd for eternal salvation. That's all it is. I'm just a sinful sheep just like the rest of you. I just get to stand on a piece of the stage. It's up higher than y'all, okay? Because we chose to do that. That's all it is. I'm on this, we're on the same path. I'm on the same path that you are. Going through the same struggles everybody has. So you go, whoa, whoa, where do you come from? Where do pastors come from? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. See, God's spiritual stork drops spiritual men off at seminary to become pastors. They have no history. They have no life. They just come to serve the church 24-7 until they die. It's where they come from. Right, Lane? Yeah. <laughs> or not. Or not. No, where do pastors really come from? Well, at one time, there was somebody's baby making messy diapers. Then there were a toddler, terrible too, screaming because their shadow was chasing them. All right? Then they went to school and they started pulling girls' ponytails. Then they became teenagers and didn't listen to their parents. They may have got bad grades a time or two. They may have earned an F in speech class because they realized that everybody was looking at them and it freaked them and scared them. And so they couldn't even get up and speak. You know, that was me. Okay. I got A's and B's except for speech class. I did better in college, but you know. Pastors are just normal people. There's no one path for a man to become a faithful pastor. I mean, just looking at Scripture, in the New Testament, we only have two people that even resemble what pastors today look like, and that's Timothy and Titus. We have a little bit of Timothy's history. We have none of Titus's history. We don't know where they came from. We don't know what their pastorate looked like. We don't know how their church looked like. But then just look at the disciples. Where did they come from? Well, you had fishermen. You had a tax collector. We would call him a government contractor. You had a zealot. He was a conservative Jew. He, he was wishing for the good old days when Judaism was really good. And then we had one that wasn't even following God, but he was a disciple. And then... We had a replacement disciple who was chosen by drawing straws. Where do we follow our example? Where do, where do pastors come from? In the Old Testament, priests was passed down from father to son. You had to be in the right tribe. You had to be the son of a priest to become a priest. But the prophets, they came from all over. Moses was raised by the enemy. Samson was chosen before his birth. David was chosen as a teenager. Elijah is a complete mystery. Elisha was a farmer. Jeremiah was chosen as, a, as, as a, probably a teenager. Daniel saw his home destroyed and his family killed and as he was deported to another country. Amos was a shepherd. And the rest 
we really don't have much of an idea. We really don't know where they came from, what they did before or even while they were prophets. That tells me that God can use anyone for his purposes, which is astonishing when I'm standing up here, because that means even me. But what do men really look like before they become a pastor? How do you know they're on the path? Well, they have a deep desire to worship God. They show up at church every time the doors are open. They attend services over other activities. They attend as many Bible studies as possible. They ask hard questions. They're not satisfied with easy or simple answers. They desire to have godlier lives. They do whatever task the pastor or the church puts before them. They want to learn Scripture, the things of God, beyond the Sunday school quarterly. They want to read scriptures for themselves when they're away from church and more than just the one verse in the free devotional guides you can pick up. They desire things of God. But it's not a path easily chosen. Charles Spurgeon, one of those dead guys, he, was a, he started preaching when he was 16 years old. But later in life, he was talking to some prospective, some, uh, prospective pastors that were on their way. They were young men who were, who were trying to learn. And he says this. He says, do not enter the ministry if you can help it. If you could be content to be a newspaper editor, a grocer, a farmer, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a senator, or even a king... In the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. He is not the man who dwells the Spirit of God in its fullness. For a man so filled with God would utterly weary of any pursuit for that which his inmost soul pants. You can do any other thing than do that. Don't follow, don't. It's not that you quit following God. Being a pastor is, is an otherly calling. It's not like any other career choice. It's not one path among many. It's a singular calling. Yet faithful pastors are sheep of the good shepherd, just like everyone else. Being a faithful pastor does not make following Christ easier. It often makes it harder. I've ran into many former pastors who became truck drivers. Why? You don't have to deal with people as a truck driver, right? God called me into being a pastor. It was not my choice. I was doing okay as a computer programmer. I was never been told I was a bad worker until I entered the ministry. I have never been told that maybe I should try another career choice until I enter the ministry. But nothing else will satisfy me than working for God. No other job will fulfill me except working for God. God has led me in a, a couple different ways. I've been a campus minister at Ball State University. 
I've been a pastor of a small town church, literally the only church in town for 11 months. I've been an army chaplain for a few years now. In some of those assignments, I've done well. In other assignments, I'm like, God, why am I here? In some of those assignments, I've, I've, I've earned awards. I can put on my uniform. I got other assignments where people said, you're not really good at this, are you? But I am just one sinful sheep trying to lead other sinful sheep to follow a sinless God, a sin, <laughs> trying to follow a sinless good shepherd for eternal salvation. When I think about all those other things and I think of how my ministries have went in those places, and I think, well, you know, because we think success, we think numbers, crowds, people, full packed rooms. I haven't experienced that. But when I think about those things, God, why am I here? He brings individuals to mind. A person here, a person there. He says, you touch that person. So what is a sinless shepherd? Let's, let's actually look at our scripture today. 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder, witness to the sufferings of Christ and partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock among you, exercising authority, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. According to the will not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Not lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples. I remember when I was in seminary, and, you know, other students there had plans. Some were plans were to be missionaries in other countries. Others had plans. It's like, well, first I'm going to get to pastor at, at this little Baptist church, a little town somewhere and I'll pastor there for a few years, and then I'll apply at a church that's a little bit bigger, maybe in a bigger town. And so they had their career progression laid out. If they go from one church to another, always going for a little bit bigger church, slash a little bit bigger paycheck, slash a little bit better um, prestige. And some pastors, that's the way they work. In times past, pastor was like one of the, one of the you know, best jobs you could have as far as um, pay as far as um, it, it lasting and being consistent, different times and different cultures. The, the pastor was, you know, was, it was a, 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 a good position. It was also a, a position of prestige because people come to you with your problems and they, they seek advice. And so it, it's great for the ego when people come and say, hey, tell me what to do. And you tell them. That's great for a, a man's ego. But that's not what God's called us to do. That's not our, our, our lot in life. And it's not to do it out of compulsion. Well, you know, there are some people who are pastors because their daddy was a pastor and their granddaddy was a pastor. Therefore, they must be a pastor. That's not the right... You may be a pastor, you may be called to do that, but that's not the requirement. My dad was not a pastor. My granddad... Maybe. I don't know. The Amish church does things weird, so I'm not sure if they were pastors. They, they, the way they do their ministers are a little bit different. But 
why, why does Paul or Peter decide to talk about this in the book of 1 Peter? Because it starts off with, therefore. What kinds of things is he talking about in this book that he says, therefore, I exhort you elders. And so he's, he started talking, throughout this book, he's talking to the whole church. And all of a sudden he just said, well, I need to talk to you elders as a fellow elder. So it's like, well, that sounds like something that needs to be talked at a preacher's conference. Okay? What's he talking about? As you go through the book of 1 Peter, he's saying things like, fix your hope completely on the grace that brought you to the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's for all of us. Others, he, he, then he says, therefore put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and like newborn babes long for pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kingdom of the Lord. For you have been called for his purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to you to follow in his steps. And I'm just reading random, uh, random verses in 1 Peter. For you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So we stray. All of us stray at time to time. We need to be brought back. Who brings you back? The shepherd. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. For it is better if God should will it that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once and for all, for the just, for the unjust. We are called to serve Christ. This letter was written to people facing persecution. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you which come upon you for your testing as though some strange thing was happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. He wasn't talking about the troubles in the world. He wasn't talking about the economy. He wasn't talking about Caesar and politics. He wasn't talking about any health pandemics. He was talking about persecution because you are a Christian. Those are the fiery ode. All the other things are just the sufferings that come in life. This is not the first pandemic this world has seen. First one I've seen, but it's not the first one God has seen. Governments have had economic problems millennia. Just look at world history, empires that rise and fall, militaries that rise and fall. It's nothing new under the sun. But make sure you do not you that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is to be not not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. So that is what he's talking about. He's not, you are to purify, you are to worship God no matter what. Righteous actions, not unrighteous actions. And now he's trying to exhort the elders, to encourage the elders to say, this is what you all need to do. And so he's encouraging, and that there, it's specifically for the elders, but it's for all, all to see. God's transparent about this anyways. That we need to serve, that us elders, we need to serve that all need to follow God because stuff is coming. There is going to be 
tribulation, and we all need to be working together to encourage one another so that we can rejoice when, when um, persecution comes. So what do faithful pastors do? We talked about the attitude a little bit here, but what do, we, what do faithful pastors do? In Acts 6, where the deacons are first instituted, why, why did they do that? Because there were, they were feeding widows. Widows, there was, no, there, was, there was no Social Security, there was no Medicare, and so they were feeding the widows of the church, and some of them were being left out. And so the apostle said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. So as important as it was to serve, they said, we don't need, we don't need to stop that. But more people need to get involved because our job is the word of God. The apostles, not saying that that's beneath them because they were doing it. But they realized that they, were, they weren't doing it well. Having the pastor do some of those things, it's like, well, yeah, he can do it, but he may not do that very well. You don't want me doing the, the church records because I don't do my own very well. Just ask Sonia. Okay? I got trained well. It was time to pay the electric bill when we got the late bill the next month. That was my reminder to pay the electric bill. Okay? My mom always paid the electric bill late, so I knew we, electricity ain't going to get cut off after one month. I actually had a boss that would like literally wait three or four months just so he could keep his money in his savings account as long as possible. Um, so you don't want me doing the books, all right? Not a good idea. We have faithful people to do that. My role, our elder's role, is the word of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, Paul says that to, in, in 2 Timothy, what Darren read at the beginning of the service. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus that who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Paul tells Timothy that the word of God is used to change people's hearts, to change their thinking, to change their actions, which changes their lives for God. Paul said that it's hard to do that. Do it with great patience. Change is, if change was easy, you'd already do it. Think about the things that are, the, the, ha, the habits and the addictions that we have. If they were easy to change, you already changed those habits. It's the hard ones that don't go away. But he also knows that Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. That means I'm not the judge of the living and the dead. I don't have to figure that out. Now, that doesn't mean there's not some discernment that we have to do as elders, but that's not one of them. Paul told Titus in Titus chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers and to authorities and to be obedient and to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also, once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hating and hating, being hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. 
can't do that if we haven't been through those things. We haven't got over addictions and bad habits to create holy habits. And so it's leading out of a place of experience, too, sometimes. Sometimes it's a place of wisdom and learn from the mistakes of others. So therefore, faithful pastors are to teach Scripture, to rebuke sin, to encourage righteous behavior, but to do it with a godly and humble heart. Because we're all in the same boat. Pastors need the same salvation in Jesus Christ as you do. Pastors need the Holy Spirit in their lives, just like you do. Faithful pastors have to deal with the sin in their own heart and mind, just like you do. How does a pastor deal with sin in his own life while teaching and guiding and exhorting and guiding others over the sin in their lives? It's like the pastor's a hypocrite or something. And pastors, the Scripture says pastors are to be above reproach. Does that mean that we're sinless? Or does it mean that he's limited his sin and that what sin he still deals with, he deals with honestly? Faithful pastors must constantly and consistently be in the Scriptures, be in prayer for the church and for themselves, and be listening to others' teachings and God, of other godly and faithful pastors. Pastors cannot be Lone Ranger Christians any more than anyone else can be a Lone Ranger Christian child of God. Can't be Lone Rangers. That's the whole thing about sheep and flocks and shepherds. We're all together. We're all doing this together. But what trials do faithful preachers may have? Pastors have trials. Everything's smooth sailing. Never have a problem. Well, Lane read the trial of a prophet of God of Jeremiah. He was put in stocks. What do you do with people in stocks? You laugh at them. You throw things at them. Surely don't listen to them. Jeremiah wanted to quit preaching. He was tired of people laughing at him. He was tired of people ignoring him. He was tired of the persecution that was coming from his own people. But he couldn't stop. God's fire was consuming him. To stop preaching about God was not an option in his life. Faithful pastors are to preach about the sin in your life. But because we've read Scripture, because we want to be godly, because we're trying to do this to the best of our abilities, we are acutely aware of the sin in our own lives. And you see this when Paul, this happened to Paul. You read this in in Romans chapter 7, where he says, I try to do the right thing. I try to follow God, but I keep sinning. The things that I want to do, I don't, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And then he just called himself, he says, I'm just a wretched man. This is Paul. He called himself a wretched man. In other places in Scripture, he calls himself the chief of sinners. How do I teach? How do we teach others to stop sin when we see the sin in our own lives so much? It's to 
power of God. Because we see the weakness. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, he says, For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet lives because of the power of God. We are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Paul, in chapter in 2 Corinthians 7, he, he has to justify himself and list a bunch of his credentials because people didn't want to believe him and listen to him. Why? Because he didn't follow Scripture? No, because he was rebuking their sin. Even though he's acutely aware of his own sin. And he sees his own weaknesses blaring. I tend to be pretty introspective in my life. I'm a great navel gazer. I have, it's been years since somebody came up with a criticism for me that I have already criticized myself for. Not, that's not a challenge, by the way. <laughs> but I see myself, I see the glares, the things that I do. It's like I'm up here preaching, I'm supposed to be you know, a, a faithful preacher for God, and I'm stumbling over my words, and I can't think of the right word, and I breathe in through my teeth, and I have terrible eye contact. Okay, I, I, I look, my eyes just kind of glaze over sometimes, and I'm not, and, or I look at the wall back there. My preaching professor at seminary said, you have lots of room for improvement when it comes to eye contact. So, <laughs> And when I talk to you one-on-one, -on -one, you see my eyes go all over the place. Sometimes they roll back in my head. I don't know why I do that. I don't even know that I do that. How am I supposed to be a preacher? How am I supposed to be a servant of God? I hate making phone calls. How am I supposed to call you up when I need to call you? So if I actually call you, praise God, okay? Um, but I've had to go other ways. Like, you know, I need volunteers for the youth group. I need volunteers for the, the sound booth at different times in the life of this church. Did I, did I come up to any one of you and ask you to help? No. I sit back and go, God, I need people. I need help. Please send me somebody. And he has been faithful to do that. People have volunteered. Because I didn't know who to ask. I don't know what's going on in all your lives. So I don't ask. I say, God, please send somebody. And I learned that from somebody else. It, so it drives me to my knees. My weakness of inability to want to go talk to people drives me to my knees, drives me to God. And God uses me in a different way. So a faithful pastor must constantly submit to his own weaknesses, to the power of God, to be used by God. Having weaknesses sucks, okay? There's no other way around it. But when you see God work in spite of that weakness or as a result of that weakness, it's a praise God moment. So why do faithful pastors do what they do if it's so miserable? And it's so hard. Short answer, because that's what God called us to do. But look back at the scripture in, in, in 1 Peter. Look down at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves, and this is talking to everybody, not just the elders, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. 
We follow God because he's going to exalt us. Maybe not while we're on this earth, at the proper time. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He cares for you, he cares for me. Be sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences you are suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in this world. The anxieties, the kind of anxieties you have that I have are not new. Others suffer from them. There may be others in this church that suffer from the same thing. There are others suffering across this country, across this world, throughout time and throughout history. And he's talking specifically about persecution. But even other things, health problems, anxiety problems, depression, job problems, bills problems. There's nothing new under the sun. Sometimes we think we're alone because we don't talk about it. We come to church and we put on our smiling mask. I'm so great, I could be twins. And inside you're miserable and you're awful, but we can't show that side. Darren keeps asking me, Hi, you know, hello, how you doing? How you doing? I go, yes. I've never really liked that question. How you doing? Because I can list you a dozen things that are blessings in my life, but I feel miserable. I can list you a dozen things that I've done well as a minister, and yet I feel like a failure sometimes because I list all the shouldas, all the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, and then I feel like a failure. I go, God, why am I here? It says, God, who called you? Verse 10, verse 11. Where am I at? Verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And I'm reading that this morning, looking at the guy in the mirror. So many sermons that I have preached, and I'm sure Darren has too. It's not about you. There should be a mirror sitting right here on some of the sermons. Because that's who we're preaching to. You just get to listen in how God's working in our lives sometimes. Why? Why would God do that? Because you're suffering from the same things we are. You're not special. Not in that way. In verse 11, to him, to him be dominion forever and ever. We're all seeking God. The faithful pastor is on the same path as his church. The faithful pastor leads the sheep, taking the barbs of the enemy first oftentimes while listening to the complaints of the sheep behind him. Are we there yet? Is it far now? It's too hot, too cold. It's too something. The pastor yearns for the rewards of heaven with his brothers and sisters in Christ on earth. Faithful followers of Christ follow faithful pastors in Christ 
in order to navigate the sinful world as they follow the Holy Shepherd and God, Jesus Christ. Above all, follow God as described in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. Repent of your sins. Change your sinful habits into holy habits of righteousness. That's all we're trying to do. We just have different roles in this life trying to get there. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for the blessings that you provide. We thank you that you called us to your service. No matter what our role...